Olas Media. Olas Media presents Cannabis Enlightened. Now here's your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Enlightened. And today we are fortunate to have with us uh, two very, very knowledgeable guests on a subject that we started with um, a few um, weeks ago, uh, social equity in the cannabis space. And we started it with um, our um, very esteemed uh, lawyer, um, Andrea St. Julian, who is by training an appellate attorney who has somehow or another found herself into the cannabis space and has slowly become a type of expert um, in cannabis as far as cannabis social justice. So we wanna explore that social justice um, theme. And to help us do that, we brought in another uh, expert, community activist, Anthony. And I'm gonna ask Anthony if he would uh, introduce himself to our audience so we can you know, kind of find out who Anthony is and what he's all about. Anthony? Hey, Dr. Leroy, thank you so much. Uh, very happy to be here with both you and Miss Andrea St. Julian. Um, I would consider myself a fourth generation San Diegan, came up in Southeast San Diego, um, just trying to make a way and following my ancestors' footsteps. But um, now with the education that I've attained, I would consider myself a cannabis justice advocate. And so what I'm looking to do at this point is ensure access to people from my community who have been devastated by the war on drugs into the legal and licensed cannabis market. So, Andrea, the last time you and I talked, we started just around the edges of social equity. And some folks have a difficult time putting together social equity and cannabis. They kind of think social equity is maybe when there is some type of um, uh, march or demonstration because something has gone wrong in the justice system. But maybe that's the case here with social justice and cannabis. Can you uh, kind of start us off with um, how you see it or how you've been dealing with it here in San Diego? Sure. There were particular sectors of the various communities that were particularly harmed by the war on cannabis and the larger war on drugs. Um, they include individuals who were incarcerated on cannabis and, and, and uh, drug charges. It includes their families. And also it includes their communities because a lot of the people who were incarcerated for uh, cannabis crimes or drug crimes came from particular communities. And so these individuals, these families, and these communities were particularly harmed. And now that cannabis uh, has been legalized, it is important to understand that we have to allow the legalization process and the now legal legalized industry to support and help rectify the harms done by the war on cannabis. And then again, depending on your particular definition, also the war on drugs. So are we, are we trying to frame this, this social equity or is social equity already a part of the cannabis industry? 
Well, yeah, yeah. I I would say that social equity is nowhere near embedded in the cannabis industry yet. The cannabis industry unfortunately began to take off long before social equity was infused into the cannabis industry. And so that's what makes it so much more difficult to try to go in and um, change that and embed social equity now into um, the, the framework uh, of, of the now, the newly legalized cannabis. And, uh, you know, I'm sure there's so much more that Anthony could, include, could uh, add to that. Yeah, un- unfortunately, Andrea is, is absolutely right. Um, not only is social equity something that did not precede uh, cannabis law creation, but it's also something that we've had to fight tooth and nail to include in cannabis law creation. And so I, I wanna make it clear that what, can't, what social equity is, is quite simply the rectification of past harms. So what we're asking for those who are creating laws around cannabis to do is to first recognize the impact that Andrea just explained um, and then build an economy or build access to an economy that recognizes those harms and recognizes the steps that are needed to rectify those harms and then exploring and identifying exactly what those are. Well, Anthony, you mentioned uh, having to fight tooth and nail um, for, I guess, the social justice or the right to enter the cannabis space. What, what, why, is it, why is that so? I mean, uh, isn't everybody able to take part in the cannabis industry? Absolutely. Let me say, anybody um, listening now, if they're in a legalized state that has regulatory framework, can absolutely enter into the cannabis space. But depending on the jurisdiction that you're in, it may take anywhere from um, $50,000 to a quarter of a million um, just to get to the front door. And that is, um, that's how much it may cost you Um, just to get a license. And that does not mean that you will be operational, but just that you'll have a license in hand and will be able to take the necessary steps to open up your business. Um, And so the financial burden that that accompanies the cannabis licensing process is one that excludes many black, brown, indigenous communities that have been disproportionately harmed by the war on drugs just based on the cost alone. Now we can go into other details, but from a, a very, um, I, I wanna say grand perspective, yeah. the, the financial barriers are, are pretty, pretty hard to, to overcome. And if, if I can just add to that, you know, it, uh, this conversation always reminds me of the quote by Anatole France, you know, the law forbids both the rich and the poor from sleeping under bridges, right? Okay. <laughs> you, know, uh, the, you know, nobody wants to sleep under a bridge, but sometimes poor people have to, you know, so to pretend that the law is equal when it affects people very differently, um, 
it, it leads us to a lot of, of social inequality and social, social inequity. Um, and, and I say that because the, the laws surrounding cannabis have been set up in such a way that the barriers to entry are so high because of the cost. And I, and I, would, I would argue that the barrier, barriers to entry are artificially high. You know, and so they have the effect of keeping, um, you know, black and brown people and people with less financial means from entering when only the, the fairly wealthy can enter the market. And again, it's artificially so. Um, and that is one of the key points of what I would call social inequality, cannabis social inequality. Hey. And those barriers are and those barriers are set up by the laws. Right. And they're set up by not only the laws, but also the regulatory framework that comes after those laws. Right. And so what you have is in places like Los Angeles, for instance. Yes, they had an equity program rollout. Yes, they had some equity applicants apply and even get conditional use permits that would move towards licensing. But in, in their social equity program, they were um, given low interest or no interest loans by the city. Unfortunately, because of the uh, regulatory hoops where let's say a police department has to sign off on your license and you can't get that police department to sign off, what we have is the result of some of these businesses defaulting on loans given by the city as an quote unquote equity loan um, and being in a position where they're going to lose everything because they're not able to open their doors. Why? Because some part of the permit process is controlled by either the police or fire department, and they can't get past that particular fire chief who knows that that particular equity applicant might have said at one city hall meeting, we needed to fund the police. And so um, what we're seeing is that those who have absolutely no stake in cannabis business are also able to come into this cannabis space to stop equity entrepreneurs from being able to manifest uh, their dreams of owning cannabis business. That, that reminds me of a program designed to fail. <laughs> and is that what you're uh, outlining? That, that this program was um, designed to fail even though it looked like something good at mm -hmm. the beginning? Unfortunately, that's exactly what it is. That's not necessarily what the intention of uh, LA City Council uh, members had on the onset, but that is the outcome, right? Unfortunately, because of the, the, the process, the licensing and permitting process, it is very difficult, if not impossible, for a separate equity program to rectify even the harm caused by the regulatory process, right? So um, in order to have equitable outcomes, which is kind of moving into a different discussion, we have to look at more than just an equity program that any municipality uh, might be bringing uh, to the community. Well, isn't social equity a part of the a, a, a program? I mean, or, or are we talking about a program that has different parts so so this is this is one thing that i think is unfortunately it is the way that many cannabis frameworks have proceeded they think of the cannabis regulatory 
uh, framework on one side, and then the, the cannabis social equity framework as something that's separate. And that is going to cause the any social equity program to fail, okay? They have to be um, not just joined, but the social equity program has to come first. You have to understand the needs of social equity, and that uh, those needs have to be built in to the larger cannabis framework itself. And, and that's what uh, is, is missing. And, and I agree, agree so much with what you said, um, uh, Dr. Leroy, about appearing as if it's designed to fail. And let me be really clear. I don't think anyone intentionally designed something to fail. I think that we have so many preconceptions about business and competition and economics that we create things based on those preconceptions without really understanding what that's going to produce. We have this way of looking at things that we, we, we don't want to give people too much. We want them to work and strive really hard. So what, what many social equity programs do is they will give a social equity applicant 50% of what they need to succeed with no way to get the other 50%. <laughs> and so people being optimistic as they are, go into programs, take advantage of the 50% that they can get, but they're, and hoping that there's a way that they can get the other 50%, when in most cases, it just, it's, it really is not possible to get the other 50%. And so we have to design social equity programs in terms of success. You know, I don't know of a single social equity program that is set up in such a way that if you jump through all the hoops and go through the program completely, you will in fact have a business at the end, you know? Okay, it, it almost sounds, um, Andrea, like you're saying, the people that are charged with setting up these programs really don't know, I'm just gonna say it, really don't know the program. They, they, I think this, they don't understand the goal of their program. Okay, and, and I know that so, sounds so simple, and, but it, it's really true. And that is the biggest problem with most social equity programs. What is your goal, right? Um, and they don't start out asking that simple question, you know? Do they understand the, the cannabis business? I mean, because we're talking about the goals. And then just a few minutes ago, Anthony was talking about, you know, the amount of money that it takes to start a business. And, you know, granting these loans at low interest rates, but the loan becomes due and it, it, it looks like something good at the front end, yeah. but it winds up being something bad. Well, I don't know if they even look good in the front end. Uh, you know, you can give someone all the loans you want to give them, and you can give it to them at no, no interest whatsoever. But if that person doesn't have a framework on which to succeed in business so that they can pay back the loan, it doesn't matter if you, what kind of a loan you give them, you know, and, and that, and that's the kind of thing that I think when I, when I say something as simplistic as, as most of these programs don't think about what the goal is, um, uh, they go astray because, and I will tell you, when I look at most of these programs, the de facto goal is I want to look good as a jurisdiction to show that I, um, I really care and support social equity. 
So this jurisdiction wants to look good and also wants to follow the hoops that the state of California has set so that they can get certain monies. And that is very clearly their goal. Now, the goal that is very clearly not apparent, a de facto goal is to have social equity applicants and operators succeed. I don't see that goal in any of the programs that I look at. And adding to that, I think that while I am not comfortable saying that there's ill intent by any of our, our um, local or state leaders, I will say that there is an underestimation of the complexity um, okay. that is involved in starting a cannabis business. So um, the MCBA, Minority Cannabis Business Association, is the largest national um, uh, proponent of uh, minority ownership within the cannabis space. And they're very much working towards that end. Uh, one thing interesting that they put out was a, a report of all the equity programs throughout the states and bringing that up to say, Andrea is absolutely right. There is no successful quote unquote equity program in that there are no successful outcomes to the degree that any municipality would be proud of. Now, kind of speaking to the complexity, you, you can open up a hot dog stand by yourself. If you really wanna get into the business, you can do that. If you wanna open up a clothing business, um, you can do that by yourself. A cannabis operation, you absolutely cannot open up by yourself. With the requirements that are, are currently on the books, there has to be an architect involved. There has to be a lawyer involved. There have to be other experts that do not work for free involved to make sure that your business not only can get off the ground, but that can sustain itself. They can make sure to meet regulatory requirements. There's a lot of regulatory requirements. Even for instance, your security plan. Did you know you have to have a documented security plan to the degree that if a municipality wants to see exactly where each of your cameras are gonna be placed, who's gonna monitor those cameras, how is it gonna be recorded, what's the company that's gonna be recording it, how long are you gonna store it, where are you gonna be able to come up with that, with that information as just a regular applicant looking to get into the cannabis space? Well, well, Anthony, that sounds like it's going back to the, the point that I made earlier that the people that, somebody had to write that into the cannabis program. Everything that you, the things that you just said, somebody had to write that into the program, correct? Correct. Okay, so the person that wrote that into uh, the program didn't really understand what it would take in terms of knowledge, time, and money. They just put it out there. Well, I think that Andrea kind of touched on this earlier. The idea for lawmakers in my mind was how do we reduce harm? You know, there's still the stigma that is around cannabis that makes it so that it's easy to justify these additional hoops because we can justify them with public safety. We don't want just uh, a quote unquote criminal to come into this space and make millions and millions of dollars off of cannabis in the licensed industry. So how do we stop these quote unquote criminals or bad actors from entering the space? Oh, I know, we, we put these things in place so that 
the end result isn't a cannabis business that harms the community, which I think that idea in itself, making sure that a, a licensed cannabis business doesn't harm the community, I think that's absolutely appropriate. I think that um, most uh, businesses would want to say that they improve quality of life for the community that they, they work in. Um, I just think that there's a different level of burden placed on cannabis business because of the history of reefer madness and kind of the image that uh, society in general has on cannabis. So that uh, the people that initially have the power to grant, um, and I, I don't know if we talked about this before or, or earlier in, in this episode, um, municipalities, uh, city and county, they have the, the job of uh, giving out the various licenses or permits, is correct? They give out one permit. You get one permit from your local, uh, whether that be the county or the city. And then you have to get a completely separate permit from the state. And you cannot get that state permit until you have the local permit. Okay, so th does it, do you two feel like someone thought all this through before they said, okay, let's have a program? You know, I, you know, uh, Dr. Leroy, I, I, I just don't think it really works that way um, in the political, I, I mean, I, I mean, because, you know, I, I'll be, I'll be very, very clear. It, it really is sausage making, you know, someone puts forward some type of an ordinance other people come in and they want to change it and they ha you have everybody has to agree nobody really thinks of, uh, totally thinks about what the outcome is going to be all they think about is we got everybody to agree to vote for this now mm. also i want to be really clear though everybody also knew the tremendous cost burdens that this would place on, on individuals wanting to obtain uh, uh, a cannabis license and start a cannabis business. Everybody knows, you know, we're not dealing with unintelligent people, you know. They know that that is going to be the outcome. And they also know that when you raise the cost this high, you're saying that this business is only going to be for the wealthy. Okay, okay. But they know full well what they did. Right. Right. And so that's why I always chafe a little bit at the, you know, when, when I talk to social equity operators, they always talk about they need access to capital. And of course, that's very true. But I like really looking at the root and saying, I want to make, I, I want to reduce the barriers, the economic barriers and other um, unnecessary barriers to you getting into the cannabis industry. That is what will really um, open it up and democratize it, not just for social equity, but really for, for everybody. So, you know, I just thought of something as, as I've listened to the both of you talk, it sounds like a program designed to help people is actually um, a, a certain segment of society that were harmed um, by the war on drugs. I think that's how we, we couched it in the beginning. Um, they're not, instead of being um, benefit, instead of getting a benefit from this, they're actually harmed again by not being able to get into the business because of money. 
if we're talking strictly about outcomes, then you're absolutely right. Unfortunately, um, social equity has created a, a bit of trauma around its inability to benefit the people that it set, set out to benefit. Um, but again, I think that that's because we are building the ship or building the plane while we're flying it, right? There is... Um, that's always dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> But but I, I would go I would go back and forgive me for repeating myself, but looking at what the impetus was to implement social equity, okay, and what the implicit goals were. I think I think we keep missing when you really look at the municipalities that are passing these ordinances, you have to understand that implicitly their goal was to to um, create a program to check off a box that the state required them to do that. And also maybe to make themselves look good in terms of, oh, we're, we're helping social equity. And that is where they succeed. They succeed in that. Do they succeed in actually um, um, promoting social equity businesses and, and making sure that they are successful or doing what they can to make them successful, they have failed dismally at that because that was never their implicit goal. Yeah, I, 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 you can look at any program and I could tell you, if, if you look at exactly what the components are, you will see that it meets the de facto goals of ticking off boxes for the municipalities. If you look at it from, is this going to achieve um, the outcome of having these applicants have healthy, uh, thriving cannabis businesses, you are going to say a resoundingly no, because that was never the implicit goal. And unfortunately, with the way things are set up, there is no way that entities outside of these larger MSOs um, are going to be successful, right? Um, you have some of these mom and pop operations, which are uh, put under a lot of pressure because these larger entities are able to come in and use the capital at their disposal to survive any ridiculous um, obstacles that, that they come across, right? Anthony, you want to break down that MSOs? So uh, MSOs. Uh, everybody, everybody doesn't. Yeah. Everybody doesn't have the Anthony <laughs> knowledge. Apologies, apologies. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Uh, MSO is a multi-state operator, okay. so it is an operation that has enough capital to purchase licenses in multiple jurisdictions within multiple states, um, and so. Interestingly enough, some of these MSOs, multi-state operators, they're able to go to even states that have equity programs. And so there'll be a state, let's say uh, New York, who's now currently opening up their license, their equity program. If New York decides to go with the lottery system and those uh, lottery tickets cost money, an MSO will come in with large financial backing and buy up as many lottery tickets as possible. Um, and if they can find qualified individuals to partner with, that's kind of their ticket into the gate. And so I think that we have to also examine what are the outcomes of the established equity programs, not just to see what doesn't work, but to see how we can adjust them 
to keep these larger entities, these well-capitalized entities, uh, away from taking advantage of opportunities that are supposed to be reserved to the most harmed or for the most harmed, excuse me. Yeah, and, and I, I want to take a, a slightly different approach to it. I, and this, because this is, if, if, if people take away one thing from this podcast, I would like to them to take, the, uh, take this one point away. We can do anything we want to, to support cannabis social equity. It is not impossible. It's not even necessarily difficult to do in a theoretical sense. You can create a regulatory framework, a framework of ordinances that supports social equity, that supports local, supports local industry, and not just supports them, but ensures that they succeed. That is entirely possible. We just have to have the will to do it. And at this point, we, we have not, uh, we pretended that we had the will to do it when in fact we had nothing of the kind, all right? So uh, you can have a thriving local industry and a healthy, healthy social equity um, framework for the social equity operators. We could have that in a heartbeat if we made the decision to do that. But, but by your words then, Andrea, because we don't have that will, we have the will to check off the boxes, which I interpret as uh, political power. We have the political power to make it what we wanna make it so that we can stay in political power. Is that, is that something you can wrap your arms around? You know, I, I would say this, I, I would, I, actually, I, I might be a little kinder. Um, I think that's unusual. <laughs> exactly that. So I think that for some legislators, they don't really understand um, the damage, the full damage that they're doing. Uh, they also they may not realize that it's really politically possible because of their constituents to do what needs to be done. We have, you know we have um, some misgivings about as a, a society about giving people things. And that really hurts us. You know, I always, you know, joke about this with homeless, with, with uh, the homeless crisis and, and houseless individuals, you know, you know, I, I just don't understand what this whole thing is about. You know, you know how you deal with people who don't have homes, you give them homes, you know, uh, but, 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 but the problem is we have um, uh, concerns about giving people things, right? And, and that's really what trips us up. And I think our society has real difficulty with it when it comes to uh, anything involving social equities or people of color. Oh, we don't wanna give those people anything. Um, uh, and that at heart is, is a, a failure to recognize that the, the true damage that was done by specifically targeting certain sectors uh, of our society for incarceration, particularly with respect to cannabis. Stay with us. We'll be back with more Dr. Leroy after this quick break. You're listening to Cannabis Enlightened on the Olas Media Podcast Network. American democracy is good, but we can make it better. 
The National Association of Nonpartisan Reformers includes organizations across the country who are working right now to build a better democracy by opening primaries, implementing safe, secure voting systems, reducing corruption, and increasing transparency. Listen to our weekly podcast, How to Win Friends and Save the Republic, to hear updates from the latest movements in the democracy reform space. Subscribe and learn more about us at nonpartisanreformers.org. You're listening to Cannabis Enlightened on the Olas Media Podcast Network. Now, here's your host, Dr. Leroy Brady. Sounds to me, um, Anthony, like uh, the counselor here let the elephant into the courtroom. So it's, it's about race. It, it always has been. Um, now, we are, ever since the Nixon administration targeted Blacks and hippies with heroin and cannabis and explicitly said that we can't legally target these groups, but we can heavily criminalize some of their behavior, um, it's been about race. When you look at the statistical data from every single state in the nation, as it pertains to war on drug arrests and cannabis prohibition arrests, the data is clear. Uh, here in San Diego, we're arrested at four to one, uh, the rate of our white counterparts for cannabis related crimes. And what's interesting is that even through legalization, those percentages have remained consistent. Meaning even though we've legalized cannabis, blacks are still getting arrested at four times the rate of their white counterparts. Uh, when it comes to cannabis-related crimes. And why is that? If, if you cannot um, prove to me that it's any other reason besides race, then you have to admit that it's race. And so the idea that we have to tiptoe around this conversation of trying to, or, of conversing or, or discussing race is, it's another one of those unnecessary obstacles to rectifying the harm uh, of, of the war on drugs. Now, by all accounts, the war on drugs has been an absolute abysmal failure. Um, and we understand now that the trillions of dollars spent on the war on drugs was a waste of American money, taxpayer money. Now, what we have to do is to Andrea's point, figure out exactly how much money is owed to rectify the harms caused by that waste of money. And regardless of how we feel about spending money, we need to understand that we are still spending money to harm black and brown communities. We're still giving the police departments and sheriff's departments raises every year. Funny enough, the County Board of Supervisors meeting in which they actually brought a cannabis social equity ordinance and voted on it as a group, the only organization that got money directly out of that meeting was the sheriff's department. They got a $500,000 bonus just for showing up uh, in, a, in a meeting about cannabis social equity. And so they say that our budget is uh, a declaration of our morals. And right now we are not looking to budget money for rectifying the harm uh, caused by the war on drugs, but we are still budgeting money for harming black, brown, and indigenous communities. So I think that now is, is the time for us to kind of say, okay, enough's enough. 
we all understand that we do not want more money being funneled away from community benefiting programs like a social equity program, like a housing program, like a substance abuse program, and funneling that into a sometimes abusive organization that the FBI has stated is has been infiltrated by multiple white supremacist groups. Um, we need to start saying, okay, this is enough. We have an excuse to rectify harms. We're going to start supporting that. And so because of that, we did um, found the Council of Equity Advocacy San Diego, whose mission it is, is to notify the greater San Diego area that the time has come to learn what are the past harms that have been inflicted on specific communities on purpose, and what are we going to do about it? And we um, have identified not only a very robust definition of what social equity is, but more importantly, have identified the total health equity pillars that need to be the foundation for any social equity um, campaign to survive on. Well, well, Anthony, is that going to bring about um, the word or the phrase that Andrea used uh, when she said, the will, the will to do, uh, and I'm going to add another word into that, Andrea, the right thing. It, it, it is, is what you've just talked about going to bring about that will to do the right thing? It can. It can. Absolutely. Now, getting from here to the point where we have the political power to influence our elected officials to do the right thing, I think we understand now, looking back at history, the amount of pressure that uh, politicians need in order to do the right thing. So either we all have to uh, start donating, you know, that $250 benchmark, you donate to any candidate and it puts you permanently on the list of, of donors so that they recognize you and see your name. That's one thing that we have to, as a community, start looking at doing, right? As a community, can we all do our due diligence to learn, first of all, what are the pillars of health equity? What does that mean? And what does that mean to me and my community? Then what obligation do I have as a citizen to contact my local officials, to talk with other people in the community and say, hey, can we all build consensus around these ideas? And then can we talk to our elected officials about the consensus that we've built around these ideas that are uh, made and built to rectify harms that have traumatized us, our children and our grandparents? Yes, absolutely it's possible, but it's going to take work and it's going to take everybody's work because we need literally everybody in this fight just to move the needle. Mm -hmm. Well, okay, okay. How, uh, I'm going to say a however. Um, something that um, I think it was, um, Anthony, you pointed out, we are building the plane while we're flying it, okay? So the main thing that I hear in that is something has left the ground, it's moving. So what do we do? Do, do we, we can't stop. So how do we fix this while the parts are moving? We get uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. ah, and, okay. and by getting uncomfortable, it means that we have to start doing things that we didn't do before. 
okay? Now, I know that it's intimidating to reach out to your county board of supervisor and say, I want a meeting. You may feel like you don't have the background knowledge on cannabis prohibition, cannabis economy, cannabis regulation to have a conversation with your elected official. But I guarantee you have enough information about the harms that over-policing has had on your community. I promise you, you have that. <laughs> All Everybody from Southeast San Diego has that, whether you're Black, Asian, Mexican, uh, Indigenous, you know what it is to be traumatized by the war on drugs, by cannabis prohibition, and by the over-policing in our neighborhoods. So you can start there. Us at the CEASD, what we're doing is developing the information that you need to inform those conversations. So if you don't know what equity is, come to the CEASD. We'll let you know exactly what it is, exactly what it isn't, so that you can have any conversation and feel comfortable that you know whether your elected official is, is supportive or not. Okay. In addition to... Oh, go ahead. I'm, so, I'm sorry, Anthony. You, you just laid down the gauntlet for a lot of people that are listening to this that say, okay, I'm moved. I want to get involved. And Anthony just gave, you know, four letters, C-E-S-D. So they're saying to themselves, what is that? And how do I get into that? The C-E-A-S-D is the Council of Equity Advocacy for San Diego. And I forgot the A. Again. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We're going to make sure it's in there. It's in there. Oh, yeah. We're, we're advocates. And again, what we're trying to do is make sure that everybody in San Diego and really the nation are well informed as to what components are necessary to rectify historic harms. And I know that I, I keep using that phrase, rectify historic harms because it's something that everybody should be able to get around and support. Now, um, you can reach out to us at the CEA San Diego at gmail.com. Um, currently, we are working in conjunction with um, San Diegans for Justice. So if you want to donate, um, you can absolutely go to the San Diegans for Justice website. Andrea, would you mind giving them that website address? Sure, sure. So uh, San Diegans for Justice has a cannabis campaign going. Um, one of our pillars at San Diegans for Justice, and I don't know if I talked about this earlier or not, but I am a co-chair of San Diegans for Justice, which is a political action committee here in San Diego. It is a grassroots organization. Um, we work on criminal justice, electoral justice, and economic justice. And uh, our, one of our most important economic justice campaigns is that of cannabis social equity. It, uh, you can go to sandiegansforjustice.com and that's spelled out F-O-R, so sandiegansforjustice.com. You can take a look at our cannabis campaign and we make it very easy for you to get involved, for you to email, you, for example, your county board of supervisor. Uh, over time, this campaign will be ramping up. And so it'll make it very easy for people to make their voices heard so that uh, we can garner the political will to make sure that cannabis social equity is at the forefront of the cannabis industry here in San Diego. 
And to add to that, what the CEASD is doing to assist San Diegans for Justice um, is that we are also producing suggested language um, for those who are looking to, um, again, uh, learn exactly what it is that we're fighting for and also understand what the, um, the Board of Supervisors, City Council, um, and other um, parties are, are, have questions about. Not only that, we also will be letting anybody know who signs up um, exactly what's happening. So currently we have um, women's work who are doing a equity assessment of the County of San Diego. And as part of that assessment, there are going to be um, listening sessions where the community has an opportunity to give input on exactly what their experience has been in the war on drugs for them, for their families, for the communities. What have they seen? What are some of the outcomes? Also, there's an opportunity for the community to discuss what it is that we want out of cannabis. Um, I think that that's one thing that we have to remind ourselves in this space is that at the end of the day, we have to impact the community and we have to have community input to know how to do that. Um, and so with, with that information provided on our website, um, it, it'll again, better prepare you to join this fight in any capacity that you feel appropriate. I hear this ringing that um, people need to get involved. It, it's not gonna, I mean, I don't think there's any cake that makes itself. Um, people, you know, you, you got to put in uh, the hard work to get to where you want it to be. And just because there's a social equity program doesn't mean it's going to be done right. Yeah. So and, and to add to that, that it doesn't mean that our neighborhoods, National City, right. Southeast, Spring Valley, Lemon Grove, it doesn't mean that we're going to see any benefit to social equity just because it's on the books. And I have to remind people, we don't often get this opportunity, right? Most of the time, we're stepping into a space trying to fix something that's already broken. Social equity in San Diego County and the city of San Diego has not been created yet. Now is the time for us to get in and say, no, we expect this to be included in your social equity program. And if it's not included, there will be political ramifications for your seat, right? We are not gonna stand by and let you continue to take advantage of the community, especially when in a conversation about how you're gonna rectify harms that the government caused to our community. This is the time now to say, no, 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 no. We demand certain things and you're gonna listen to us. And so, yeah, and, and one thing, and I, and I agree, it sure. does take a lot of hard work um, but we at San Dagens for Justice like to say, let us do the hard work. You, we're going to make it easy for you. You know, sign up, sign up to get our emails. And, and uh, we call people who work with us our partners in justice. And all you have to do is just sign up with your email and your name. You automatically become a partner in justice. You get emails from us. We don't send a lot of emails, but we'll send important emails you can be kept up to date on what we're doing with cannabis. You will be given an opportunity uh, to just easily click on an email that you can automatically send to a council member. We make it very easy. 
because we understand that the political process is complicated. It is made complicated to keep us out of it. So we try to simplify it so it's, it's much easier. So we provide information uh, about cannabis and about what's moving forward. And so I would just encourage everyone to go to San Diegans for Justice and, and sign up to be a partner, uh, a partner in justice. So it, 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 you know, I, I'm reminded, I don't have the, um, the author of what I'm getting ready to say, like um, Andrea has, can come up with the people that have said these things. But, you know, it, it, it sounds like it's the, it's the age old uh, adage, if you want to direct where this train is going, you got to get on board. Yeah. You know, you, you can't stand or sit on the sideline and expect it to turn out the right way or the way you want it to if you're not involved. And those of us who love our community, who, you know, born and raised here in San Diego, want to see our community thrive, we need you. You know, it's, it's, it's not just, you know, if you want something, um, you, then you got to hop on board. It's also that we can't do it without you guys. And on that note, I want to thank from the bottom of my heart, um, Andrea, for making your second appearance, and Anthony, for making your first, which will not be your last, I guarantee you that, my friend. It sounds like you have a lot to say and to bring to this particular subject, and perhaps, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, to many other subjects, too. <laughs> so we'll thank be you coming, so much. <laughs> we'll be coming back to you. So uh, thank you too very much for being gracious with your times. We appreciate um, your comments, your time, uh, your knowledge, and the direction that you've given the audience. Um, you've given them a lot to think about and places to go where they can perhaps make a difference in this fight for social justice in the cannabis space. I'm your host, Dr. Leroy. This has been Cannabis Enlightened. Thank you very much for joining us. If you'd like to hear more Cannabis Enlightened with Dr. Leroy, be sure to visit us online at CannabisEnlightened.com and subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Cannabis Enlightened is produced in San Diego, California and presented by March and Ash at MarchandAsh.com. Olas Media.